We're back at it, an audio-only wheelhouse podcast. This is episode 55. Aaron Goldsmith alongside the general manager of the Mariners, Jerry DePoto, Kamala O'Keefe running things for us. And Jerry, this is this is back to normal now. I know Colin was he was in charge in more ways than one last time. I mean, I, I listened. It was very good. Stump JD was a little bit in the weeds. But I thought you, you got like three out of four, right? Got, got, I felt like I was nailing it. I don't know if it was because the delivery was much easier. Uh, I felt oh, I like Colin and I clicked a little bit. You know, oh, I, oh I heard it. Yeah, yeah it was it, palpable. We clicked. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of clicking, mostly because it was a little modulated. <laughs> Colin was having to do two jobs at once, but now he's back to very spe- – he's a specialized reliever here. So he's just only on the face of lefties, which he's great at. Colin, fine It's a dying work. breed. It is a, you're right, it is a dying breed. In fact, it'll be obsolete soon, but not our guy. I'll take five to seven million dollars a year to get a <laughs> two-year deal is fine. And not, we'll, ne- we'll never hear from him again. Exactly. I don't need much. Yeah. Exactly. Not too much. Hey, we've got a lot of things to talk about. This is an audio-only podcast. We'll be back with you on Root Sports uh, once the second half begins. So many things uh, on the field, both at the major league level and the minor league level, Jerry. We want to talk about your trip to Little Rock to check in on the Mariners AA affiliate. Remember, you can always subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, the like. But first, Jerry, let's talk about the Mariners All-Star. Daniel Vogelback, this is fantastic news. A guy that uh, Mariners fans have been clamoring to see on an everyday basis. And now they're saying, Jerry, why didn't you do this sooner? Because he's an All-Star. It's been fantastic news for your DH and first baseman. And he deserves it so much. You know, I, I think over the course of the last four seasons now, we acquired Vogie, what, midway through 2016 season. And when he came over here, our hopes were very high that what you're seeing today is who Daniel Vogelbach is. And, you know, along the way, we did have a couple of hurdles to overcome, not the least of which is we had a DH, a really good one. And, and we were working with Vogie on the nuances of first base play. So... Over much of the last three years, Bogey spent a lot of his time, you know, concentrating on the defense. But the one thing that never really wavered was our belief in the bat. And, you know, lo and behold, the the bat is playing to, to the extent we thought it would. And, and that's phenomenal. And the first base defense has come so far. And to the point where now Bogey's out there. You would not even recognize him if you compared him to the first day of spring training 2017. Uh, and a credit to him, he knew this was something that he had to work at. He's, he's overcome. He's done all the things that he does offensively. He's patient. He's got huge power. And I think Vogie does the little things in a game a lot better than people think. His, his sense to play baseball, is, he's got a very high baseball IQ for a guy who doesn't play a middle-of-the-field position, which is normally more closely associated with that type of, of player. My four-year-old was watching some highlights and saw Vogie tomahawk his bat after a pop-up. And in the four-year-old fashion, he simply asked, Dad, why, why do players slow, throw their bats down? And I had to explain, you know, this is what Daniel Vogelback does when he doesn't hit a home run or sting one to the gap. He's a fairly emotional guy in the batter's box. And we, we've had to apologize for our field mics about a dozen times this year because of Daniel Vogelback. He's a pretty calm, cool guy in the clubhouse. He's a pretty fiery guy when you get him between the lines. Which you like. You want your players to have an edge, and, and Vogie does. It's He plays the game the right way. I love how he goes about his business. He is. He's easygoing. He's fun in the clubhouse. A uh, bit of a, let, let's say, like the, the, the center of the room oftentimes is Vogie. And, 
And it has been even before he was playing regularly and certainly before he was an all-star. So, you know, couldn't be happier for him, couldn't be happier for his perseverance, really, and, and couldn't be happier for the organization that we got to this point. It's, I think it's a credit to our scouting and player development. I think it's a credit to our patience and a player we believed in. And it's a credit to, to Vogie for, for believing in us enough to hang in there through what was a pretty tough couple of years. Your farm director, Andy McKay, had a really interesting quote talking about Daniel Vogelback recently. He said that Daniel has given as much or more to the system as the system, the Mariners Player Development Operation Group, has given to him. What do you think Andy meant by that? You know, Vogie does what we want our hitters to do. You know, he he understands his strike zone. He hits in his hot zone, and, and he knows where he's good, and he focuses on that spot. He manages the strike zone in a way that we could only hope that our incoming draftees and, and projectable prospects eventually attain. There's He doesn't strike out a ton for a guy with huge power. He does draw a very high walk rate, and he is very selective in the strike zone. He makes the pitcher throw strikes, and he grinds deep into at-bats. If, if that is all he ever gave to our Farms, despite the, you know, and we'll we'll leave out like the 900-ish OPS <laughs> during his course of his time in Tacoma, and the general positivity and energy that he always showed on the field. Now he was a great example of what we want our hitters to do when they get in the batter's box, and and he believes in it. He's he's very studious. Vogie is probably along with Mitch Hanniger as into video analysis as any hitter we have, and. You know, they will just grind through. He knows who he's facing every night. Nothing ever takes him by surprise. That's what he gave our system as an example of what we want the next group of Mariner players to, to embody. According to Scott, and he means this in a serious and also how I interpreted it, a, a pretty humorous way. Like, Vogie's got a scouting report on every pitcher, whether it's Verlander or a guy that he remembers facing in low A ball five years ago. And... To no surprise to any of us, he's chatting the guys up pretty quickly in the dugout about it. Oh, well, he's got the book, and <laughs> there's a, he he's been playing for a while. You know, Daniel's Daniel was a high school draftee. He's been in in the, both the Cubs system and now our hours. He's he has always played against the best competition, dating back to in high school. He's a phenomenal hitter throughout the course of his entire amateur existence, and you know, and part of that is because he knows who he's facing. He knows what to expect in, in certain counts, and he gears himself up for that. And and Vogie is not shy about sharing whatever's on his mind. One thing I need to dig a little bit more on, just pulling up an old Seattle Times article from Adam Jude, was. He's so willing to help out other prospects in the system. He, Adam Jude wrote about how Vogie was interacting with West Virginia's manager at the time, and the West Virginia manager was explaining that Jared's going through a little bit of a slump, and Vogie said, hey, give him my number. They exchanged text messages, got him going. There was another instance, I believe, a little later in the summer where Ian Miller had on his Instagram story highlights of him hitting a couple doubles, and the caption says, Daniel Vogelback always gets me right. So he's willing to share that wisdom, not just scouting, but also whatever else is needed, apparently. So it's nice to have both a middle-of-the-order raker in his mid-20s who's also subbing as a hitting coach, not just for the Major League Club, but organizationally. Yeah. Yeah. A roving, a roving instructor. It works ways. for me. He doesn't row very far. You know, we, we like him when he stays here. You know, my, my last question on Daniel, because his numbers are so interesting this year, and you just don't see this type of, I guess, overall skill set or approach. We're recording this in advance of the middle game of the series here at home against the Cardinals. And at the moment, 
He has an OPS just south of 900. He has, at last look, the second highest walk rate in baseball. He's at 18%. Only Mike Trout is higher. His swing rate is the lowest in the majors. It's essentially 34% of the time. That's it. He swings the bat. We know how discerning he is at pitches outside the strike zone. But how about pitches in the strike zone, Jerry? Roughly speaking, he's swinging at only half the pitches inside that box, inside the strike zone. We know that he does a supreme amount of damage given his OPS, but I guess my question is going forward for the rest of this season and more long-term for Daniel Vogelback, can he sustain his productivity while swinging at essentially every other strike inside the strike zone? I think so, and it's what he's always done. He, he, He did this throughout his minor league journey. He did this really as an amateur player. Vogie knows where, for lack of a better way to put it, in layman's terms, he knows where his pitch is. And he's looking in his hot zone throughout. And I, I, Vogie doesn't do a whole lot of guessing. You know, he, he's looking to hit a fastball. He's looking to hit a fastball in his hot zone, and he makes the pitcher throw it there. And when he has to adjust, he'll adjust. And he, he drives deep at bats as a result. He has a very high walk rate. As, as a result, his on-base percentage runs particularly high. And he damages the pitches that are in his zone because that's what he swings at. And, you know, I guess if you know what you do well and you're able to stay disciplined to doing just that thing and not leave your zone, I don't know why that's not a sustainable trait. You know, and I, and I would go back, and I know the the most of of the the attention that Vogie gets is is for what he does in the batter's box and the long home runs, and you know, but his ability to to add pitch count to the starting pitcher and to set the tone for our lineup in an inning, particularly this year, has been phenomenal. It really has become what our lineup is about, and I think he embodies that. We've seen a lot of that with, with you know, the departed Edwin Encarnacion. Jay Bruce did that a fair bit. Domingo Santana. But the one thing that, that Vogie brings to the table that many or most of those guys don't is that he doesn't whiff a whole lot. And, you know, in relation to the power you get and the quality of the at-bat. So I, I love what he does. I do think it's sustainable. And I also think it's fun to, like, Vogie's also one of our most efficient first to third runners. Yeah, you know, for a guy who's not a flyer by any stretch, he is he's attentive on the bases. He's always into what's happening in the game. And when Bogey has the chance to take that extra base or push the envelope, he's gone. And, you know, like let, let's call it a puff of smoke. <laughs> it's just boom, he's gone. And, you know, it's I think it's it's fun to watch when a player loves to play that much and is in tune with the game. And he Bogey gets the very best or the very most out of the skills that he has. And he's built a, a style of game that fits him personally, his body, his athleticism, and he maximizes his talents. We are now, I guess, in the back half of the season, although it doesn't exactly feel like it, but we're in the very beginning stages of that. The Mariners have played over half the schedule. You know, May was such a struggle for the Mariners. June was a really nice turnaround from the previous month. And if you look at, at the time we're recording this, the last 25 games for the Mariners, they're essentially a 500 team, a tick above. What have been your impressions on the Mariners' Let's call it over the last calendar month or so. You know, we feel like this is more representative of who we are. When we started this season, when we started this project, you know, what we have done with our roster, the turnover, and and trying to build toward a better future, 
we, we thought we would be something like what you're watching for these last 25 or 30 days. We didn't think we would be as bad as we were in May. And, you know, if I had a, a, something of a surprise, it was that we were that bad for that period of time. We played a tough schedule in May, but we played it really poorly. And, you know, there's no way of getting around it. We were much better than we expected in early April, and we were much worse in the month of May. And I think in June we stabilized, and now we're just playing like who we are. And and we're doing that while having traded some of our more notable players during the course of the early season. And we think there is more excitement as we get toward August and September, and maybe we see the first wave of younger players start to, to crest. Some guys we've seen already and some we haven't seen yet. Austin Adams has been an absolutely remarkable story to see his growth in the short time that he has been in a Mariners uniform. First of all, I'd like to talk to you about his usage because this does not seem to be necessarily traditional usage for Austin Adams. It has, however, been very effective the way that Scott's been using him. Now, I, I'm going to give Scott and the staff a ton of credit on this. There's, you know, Austin, obviously this has been a breakout that if we would have seen this coming, we would have given up considerably more in the trade to acquire him than we did. Uh, Austin's been roughly awesome, one of the best relievers in the league since the day he joined the Mariners. The strikeout rate has been off the charts. You can see his confidence grow with each passing outing. And he's not just striking hitters out, he's he's being brought into the most difficult situations and facing the best hitters, not just in the other lineup, but in the league for for most of the time he's been here. It's just where our schedule fell. But, you know, Scott has done a phenomenal job of identifying the the hot spot in the game, that most difficult high leverage situation when it arises. And he's just using Austin as that Swiss army knife, the guy who comes in and, and really just puts out the fire, so to speak. And he's he really I, I couldn't say enough about how well he's pitched. And again, you know, kudos to him for for stepping up and doing it. He's done a great job of working with our, our pitching people and putting together a game plan that works for him. And the, the results have been phenomenal. And we're really excited by it. So often general managers are critiqued only on the moves they make in terms of the personnel on the field. But of course, a big part of your job and any person who has your job is the coaches that you hire to work with the players you put on the field. So with that in mind, last night on the Mariners Radio Network, Austin Adams was asked the keys to his success since since coming to Seattle. And he said three things, Brian DeLunis, Paul Davis, Jim Brower, the best coaches I've ever had in my life. That's a profound statement, isn't it? It is profound. Uh, I would love to know who's teaching him the the, the dance moves. He's got some he's got some sweet moves on the mound. And I think that, that's yeah. that's clearly Delonis. Yeah, clearly. I don't know who else it be. Ah, it could be Paul. It could be Paul. <laughs> but you know, we're really proud of of the group that we've built, and and in many ways, our pitching group is in a position in 2019, July of 2019, where our hitting group was about this time last year. Uh, where we're, we have a number of people who've not yet worked for a considerable amount of time together. They've, they've learned one another, each other's you know, idiosyncrasies, each, each other's strengths and weaknesses. And they each do something a little bit different. And it extends beyond just DeLunis and Paul and, and Brower. It, it extends to the minor leagues with guys like Max Weiner, who's our, our new 
uh, pitching coordinator with the with the guys in the system, Lance Painter and and you know Woody and Double A, and our, throughout the system, we've got a number of guys that are all new to the dance. Once you get past Double A, and they all bring something unique to the table. This trio that we have working in Seattle, Brian oversees our pitching strategy and development. Max oversees our minor league development, and and Paul and Jim oversee our major league club. So. Jim's focus is the bullpen guys. Paul's focus is the starters, and they all collaborate throughout. And you know, Paul is is a little bit more strategic. Let's call it analytical, trying to find a better way to to split the atom. Jim is trying to figure out how to uh, maximize the result uh, in in creating a plan. And Brian is just trying to figure out how to help the pitcher move better. And you know, if if you take all those and combine them. Some pitchers may hear one voice more than another. It's it's unique when you get a guy like Austin who's pulled something positive from each of the three, and and obviously it's helping his game. So I say have at it. <laughs> we're we're proud of the group and and really believe that we're just scratching the surface of what this group of pitching personnel is capable of, similar to what we think our hitting people have done. I know this is kind of a big question and maybe with some broad strokes, but when you look forward to the second half of the season and where you want to see this team be come the final out of game 162, not so much in terms of the wins and the losses, but more the process of the whole matter, what is your hope? You know, that we, all of the players that we have introduced to the Mariners this year, I I think by and large, most of them have made really strong contributions. From the guys behind the dish, you know, Omar and Murph have been tremendous. I really can't say more about the catching. They've been terrific. There's, this is probably the most productive first base year that the Mariners have had since, I don't know, John Olerud. It, it's been a long time. And, and uh, you know, we can thank Edwin Encarnacion for his contributions, what Vogie's doing right now. And we feel like that's only going to improve as time goes on. The The – development of the young outfielders uh, at both Malik Smith and, and what we're seeing in terms of everyday opportunity for Domingo Santana and what's coming behind them. Uh, guys like Jake Fraley, like Kyle Lewis, like Dom Thompson-Williams, Jared Kelenic, etc. There's as we get to the end of the season, we want to see forward progress from from all of the younger players who are getting their first taste and who've not yet gotten their taste. We want to see a process develop where our players are in tune with how we set up a game strategy, the way we game plan, the way we talk about an opposing pitcher, the way we shift our defense so that it becomes second nature to them. And in the extreme, it works out as well as it's worked out over the last four or five weeks with J.P. Crawford, you know. but for the most part, if we get to the end of the season, we've developed those young players effectively and we've, we've taught them how to approach the game the way the Mariners want to approach the game from a planning and strategic position. That will have been a successful season to us. And, and it extends so far beyond Seattle. We've got all the other affiliates who are critical to our forward development. With that in mind, tell us about North Little Rock. That sounds like it would be a great trip, especially for a ball club that's having such the year that the Travs are having. So I, I ate a lot of barbecue. Uh, uh, there, so I, I did stop. The, the the great people in Arkansas, I love the the affiliate. I've gone every year for you know closing in on a decade now. But 
Russ Meeks, who oversees the club, his his son Rusty, who directs the baseball operation, and Paul Allen, who's to me the best minor league GM in Double A baseball. Um, they do a terrific job and, and put together a great program. And when I go there, one of the nuances is we eat everything in the state of Arkansas for three to five days, I think. And th- this this year's sojourn was uh, connected to roughly every hole-in-the-wall barbecue joint you could imagine. And some of them were phenomenal. Uh, and, um, and I went to the ballpark full most nights, and, and then I just sat back and watched our pitching staff drive them to a halt. The, 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 I saw some outstanding pitching from the first night I was there with Justin Dunn, who was terrific, and despite a hiccup last night and what was one of the few down starts he's had, has had a, an outstanding first half, and we're thrilled to have him go to the Futures game. It topped out in the mid-90s. He's pitching about 92, 93. He's got two excellent secondary pitches. One, we knew the slider. The second is really developing quickly in the changeup. And, and we see a future as a starter in this league for Justin Dunn in the not-too-distant future. I uh, did see Ricardo Sanchez, who's been a pop-up prospect for us that we acquired in an off-season trade with the Braves. Uh, Ricardo's got touch and feel. He's got four pitches, and he navigates the strike zone really well. He threw well while I was there. And you know, by far the standout in the moment was just the Sheffield. It was a really rough go in Tacoma for Chef. And as you know, we talked about it. We sent him back to, to Little Rock just to try to get his, his bearings and, and remember who he is. And, and in the three starts he's made for the Travelers, he has been awesome. And it has progressively gotten better, the last of which I was there for, which was a, a outing in which took a no-hitter into the eighth inning, topped out at 97 miles an hour, showed both a dominant slider and an effective changeup. And more importantly, his misses were small. Because the you know, big thing Justice was struggling with in Tacoma was his command. And since he's gone to Arkansas and worked with the pitching group there and, and just gotten comfortable with where he is, he has been really good in terms of commanding the baseball. The, the bullpen stood out. Roughly everyone threw the ball very well. And we have some awesome bullpen arms there. Guys that you've heard of for years, like Art Warren. Art's thrown in the upper 90s. You mean Art Warren? Yeah, Art's got the great voice. He also has really good stuff. And, and when Art's healthy and he's healthy now, it's upper 90s with a slider. And we saw that. Sam Delaplane, who roughly strikes everybody out, uh, is, is thrown in the mid-90s with a slider. Joey Gerber made his double-A debut and dominated. Uh, we, we So many positive things. Last night, Wyatt Mills, six strikeouts in two innings. Everybody that runs out of the bullpen in, in Arkansas is, is a prospect, and that's that's a very rare thing in, in professional baseball and very exciting for us, and it just keeps getting better. Um, saw probably the best weekend that Dom Thompson-Williams had in, in quite some time, and he's really starting to come on again after a lull. Uh, had a nice start to the season and is, is clicking back up. Had the chance to present Kyle Lewis with his his Texas League Player of the Week from the prior week, which was uh, which was fun, and and just try to continue to encourage Kyle about the good things that he's doing. He is hitting the ball hard and making good swing decisions, and sooner or later, like we saw just last week, it it's going to come together for him in a big way. Saw Donnie Walton, who I think is one of the most underrated prospects in our system, and doesn't get enough love for the things he does. Uh, Donnie's going to play in the big leagues, and he's having a phenomenal year in the Texas League. He's got a lot of leadership qualities that you look for, 
Uh, I think he's got the ability to move around the field, kind of that coach's son mentality. Um, got to see what I think is the best first baseman in the minor leagues is Evan White. And, and, and I don't just mean with the glove. Evan is, is, is silky smooth with the glove. There's no question about that. He has come so far as a more complete hitter. Evan could always hit. Spray the ball, pole to pole, had a pretty flat swing and hit the ball hard. Now he does all those things and he hits the ball hard in the air a lot more often. And we're starting to see the power really flourish. Uh, both Evan and Justin Dunn are headed off to Cleveland uh, on Saturday to, to join the All-Star Futures on Sunday where they'll meet up with Jared Kelenic. And they couldn't be happier with the development that they're making and with the, just a fun team. That Arkansas team you know, is it plays together. The team plays together better than any minor league team I've ever seen. It, they're they love one another. You can see how much they care. I mean, Mitch Canham and and the the group that started the season, and Caesar Nicholas, who's now in for Mitch, they have done a phenomenal job in creating a winning environment where the players are driving it. And it's really fun to watch. And shout out Evan White. Just earlier today was named the Texas League Player of the Year for June, or Texas League Player of the Month for June. Maybe of the but year. June we'll felt like a year. Yeah, <laughs> for, for opposing pitchers, I'm sure. There's a lot to cover there, including the barbecue. I am curious, when you parachute into town like that, who are you speaking with in terms of the coaching staff, the players, obviously the executives for the ball club as well? But What are your conversations like, and who are you talking with over the course of your time there? Uh, well, the, the affiliate folks. You know, I said, sure. you know, Russ Meeks, Paul Allen, Rusty Meeks, the the – the, the folks who oversee the operation. I'll spend ample time with them, uh, visit with the manager, the coaches, spent time, uh, went to breakfast with Max Weiner, our pitching coach who was in town and talked about the things he's seeing and doing, just general philosophies on pitching. Uh, sat down with the coaching staff, with Caesar Nicholas, with Kyle Wilson, and we talked about the hitters and everyday players and their progress uh, and just, generally visit with the players much like you would any other time you know chat it up at the cage go sit out in the cages in center field and watch them take their their bp uh, talk to them in between something as simple as as where they're eating or, or how their girlfriend or families are doing and and just you know human touch type thing and inevitably you always have the next day's pitcher or the pitcher who's two days out who's sitting you know, somewhere in close proximity in the stands while you're watching the game. And, and uh, some of them are more chatty than others. And uh, usually when I get a chatty one, it's, it's like two atoms exploding. You never know what might happen. Because that's one of the things I was going to ask you is how much do the players approach you? Because obviously this is kind of like when the president visits, right? I mean, there's a... Something slightly less regal, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> I mean, you have so much control on their career but they might not know you too particularly well at the time, especially depending on what affiliate level you are at. And there could be some sheepishness, I would have to think, for a young player to approach a major league general manager. You know, I, I think this group, because of the level, you know, and AA and maybe more so than any other level in our system, they're mostly kids who've been in our system and or were acquired over this offseason in trade. And if you'll remember, due to Malik Smith's uh, – social butterfly behavior many of them spent the night at the house when we we did our cookout uh, in january so 
many of them I had some history with. And, and in the case of guys like Evan White and Kyle Lewis, and they, they've been in our system sure. for, for two, three, four years now. So and I, they, when I come to town, they do approach me. And, and this group is so different. They're, they're wired in such a way that even the, the players who we acquired during the season, you know, like a Mike Ahmed or an Andrew Knapp, who are, both are playing down in Arkansas and, you know, at the earliest joined our team at the tail end of spring training, and in Mike's case, just last month, they walked over and shook my hand, introduced me, and I'm sure that the 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 podcast is what is what sends that. Were they were they they're, playing that in the clubhouse? They're thinking, hey, I think that's in? the dude that does the podcast with yeah. with Goldsmith. I think that's probably <laughs> if they don't Goldsmith. have the theme music playing when you enter the clubhouse, obviously, you, we've, an email Collins, got lost. Yeah, along Collins the done way. something wrong. Clearly, yeah. And is the is the barbecue is this like? More Texas, more Kansas City. What are we talking here? Arkansas barbecue. A little more Kansas City. Uh, no burnt ends, you know, at least not that I ran into. But uh, it's very different than the Carolina barbecue. It's a little tangier. Uh, the, the brisket is a thing, but it's, a, you know, chicken and pork are more prominent. And my favorite part, we went to a place called HB's Barbecue, which has been there, uh, uh, judging by the look of the building, since maybe the first Roosevelt <laughs> um, the presidency. But, you know, Russ Meeks took me for lunch at HB's, which he used to go to uh, in the 60s when he was, when he was working uh, his first job for lunch. And, and uh, you know, small little place. It's quaint. It smells like barbecue as soon as you get out of the truck. And it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And the food's awesome. The side, along with my, my pork barbecue sandwich, the side was uh, a cup of stuff, just stuff. I, I, Russ said, you got to get the stuff. And I said, what, what, what is the stuff? He said, I don't know, but you got to get it. And the, the stuff was roughly the, the shards of, of barbecue mixed with dried baked beans, a couple of crunched up Frito chips. It, it was, there was, the, and I have to say. So this is the compost. Yeah, part. like, yes, ordinarily not something I would order. I ate every bit of it. It was uh, it was it was really good. And then when I was done, I said, "Russ, please take me to a gym. I need to work this <laughs> off. I need to work the stuff off." I, I, now I'm very much a. This could be blasphemy for the traditionalists. Like I am very much a coleslaw on the pulled pork sandwich. I'm weighing on that, especially in the Carolinas. Yes, I, I, right. I, I love that. O'Keefe, you're nodding. Sounds good to me. Yeah, I got some. I got some of those. He's just sa- thinking cheese curds, cheese yeah, curds. The cheese, cheese curds, curds cannot <laughs> be. Tough, well, you know, we're we're in Milwaukee, right? And my, I'm like my my the battery life on my phone is dissipating by ten percent after ten percent by the minute because of Culver text messages from this guy, some pizza place <laughs> from O'Keefe, Rocky Rococo's. It's quite delicious. Started in Madison. <laughs> it's a chain. They got one in Spokane. Did I will, really? I will say the best Wisconsin culinary thing that I recently discovered, and it's more a drink than culinary, but went back there to visit uh, my mom's family, still all lives in Wisconsin. If you go and you get a Bloody Mary at a bar, which of course you can get anywhere, Wisconsin loves making them up, you serve them up and they ask what you want as your beer chaser. So not only do you get a Bloody Mary, they'll serve you up a little mini beer as a chaser for free that just goes with the Bloody Mary. And you're like, does it have to be Bud Light, something light? You know, obviously you probably want to serve me the cheapest. Like, no, get whatever you want. So you get an IPA and then, or you get a Bloody Mary and then a little small IPA for free. It's quite nice. And then another Bloody Mary. Exactly. And then cheese curds on the side. You, it's, 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 it's it sounds magical. <laughs> oh, maestro. It sounds magical. 
I, I did get, I stumbled on a place called Smoke Shack in Milwaukee. That was like a 10 minute walk from the hotel. And I, I asked, I got a pulled pork sandwich, no slaw. But I asked the guy, I said, I'm from out of town. This is my only time here. Don't lead me astray. I, and I looked at the appetizers, which they had a lot of very creative. I mean, they had barbecue spring rolls, which actually, like, yeah, that look that O'Keefe just gave me. <laughs> Intrigued. They, they actually were intriguing. Like, on the service level, they sounded kind of like the cup of stuff. But they also, the more I thought about it, I thought, you know, I might be interested in this. But I asked the guy, I said, what's the one thing that you would get on the appetizer list? That's what I would like. And he said, you have to try the burn-ins. I said, okay, yeah. I mean, I like burnt-ins, just like anybody likes burnt-ins. And the burnt-ins that they brought out were like the furthest thing from normal burnt-ins. They were really big, like inch-by-inch inch tr- chunks. And they were the most decadent, fatty, pull-apart, moist, just... They were unbelievable. They were the best burnt-ins I've ever had. And I got them in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Wow. That, now, that seems blasphemous. I know, doesn't it? I mean, we get great barbecue in Texas... We get great barbecue in Kansas City, which I know you know very well, Jerry. But O'Keefe's Wisconsinites, man, at least in one spot, they did it right. Call them. If you want we to find down to you. food or drink that's not healthy for you, Wisconsin, <laughs> we'll find a way to do it right. There's, you don't even have to go very far because no. it, the, there's word had it, and I don't know if this is accurate or not, but word had it that in the afternoons before the, the club left the hotel – there were, were hibachis firing up on the, the, the lanai outside of Scott Service's room at the hotel while he was brewing up some, some brats for all comers, That's wearing nice. a cheesehead hat. Well, that seemed obvious. I, was, I thought he'd probably wear that to and fro the ballpark. <laughs> and they have brats in the press box at Milwaukee, so I heard. Not to mention the ice cream and the milkshakes and all that type of stuff, but uh, you know, The milkshake brats. machine was down, which I thought was a little disappointing, but I didn't— I, I, I was leaning more towards a soft serve to begin with. So my, my very first trip into Milwaukee as a player, this is in 1993, and uh, we, we went in. I was the youngest guy in the club, and we're sitting out. If you remember Old County Stadium, we're sitting out in the visitor's bullpen, which truly you, you, I could flip a ball over the, the chain-link fence that separated us from the main concourse. And the ball would just roll down the concourse, and it was we were that close to the to the action. And it's about the fourth inning of the the first game in Milwaukee, and and one of my teammates at the time was on the disabled list, Ted Power, played a long major league career. And uh, Teddy said to me, "Hey Jerry, why don't you go get us some brats?" And I said, "What?" He said, "Go get go get us some brats." And I said, "How?" I mean reached in his pocket and he pulled out some dough, you know, he said, here you go. So here I am. It was my very, this is literally my very first road trip in the big leagues. I've played three games as a major league player and I'm standing online on the concourse in Milwaukee, full uni buying brats for a couple of the guys in the bullpen. What? Oh yeah. Different time. It was a different time. And it was, it's a good story to tell though. People clearly said, Something to you. Yeah, like, what, what's this clown? <laughs> this <laughs> guy thinks he's a player. <clears throat> really? Yeah, I remember it vividly. And then, and then later in that game, I, there's this was right about the onset of, so prior to the, the mid-'90s, they really didn't play walkout songs. You know, players didn't contribute to that exercise. They just they played songs. And, right. and, and 
you know, we were playing the Brewers in that series, and I was warming up. It's it, I don't remember the the exact situation, but I'm warming up, and I'm coming in the game with the bases loaded and Robin Yount's up, and as I'm leaving the bullpen, they they started playing the song "I Want to Live" from the Ramones, and which it got every hair on my body standing up. And I, I ran out the, the, the gate, and the first thing I thought is, you're playing the wrong song. And I, and I ran to the mound, and I threw my eight warm-up pitches, and I felt like I was dialed. And then I hung the living daylights out of a slider, and he popped it straight up in the air, and I said, it's the song. <laughs> and forevermore, that became my walkout song. Really? Yeah. That was the birth of it? Yeah. So many good things about Wisconsin, O'Keefe. There is. It's a great, great place. To put a bow on the minor league side of things, Jerry, three guys, as you mentioned, going to the Futures game. That is tied for the most the Mariners have ever sent to the Futures game. It's been some time since we've seen three. We all know about all the great things going on in the minor leagues. We know how far up the prospect rankings, no matter which publication you are looking at, the Mariners have gone from since the end of last season to where we are right now. But what does it mean to you, to Andy McKay, to the organization overall, to have three guys get the invite to Cleveland for the Futures game? It truly is an honor. And the Futures game is such a – it's a fun event. Maybe of of all the Major League sponsored events during the course of the season, this is the most fun because you're getting a chance to peek into the future. And, you know, you get to see as, – as, as fans, we get to see prospects that to this point we've only heard about or seen video footage. And now you get to interact with them. They're all going to be doing TV and radio bits for roughly 24 consecutive hours. And, you know, you'll get to see them play against one another in a, in a super competitive environment. They all want to do well. And some of the highlights of the past Futures games wind up being the most replayed highlights of a season. When, when for instance, last year when Pete Alonso hit the crazy bomb, you know, and you see it, how many times have you seen it? 150 times just in the last 60 days. Uh, we're thrilled to send three guys. It's a big number. There, there are only five teams in the big leagues that are sending three. Um, we are, we're excited about the three players who are going. We're also excited about the next group of players who we felt like could have easily been selected. You know, most notably a guy like Logan Gilbert, who, you know, Logan, I guess, is unique in that we promoted him from one A club to the other. So he didn't make either of his league's all-star teams, nor did he make the Futures uh, all-star game. But ranks among the top 100 prospects in the game. And I think when you put his numbers up against just about any pitching prospect in baseball, they're, they're going to look fairly representative. He's had a great year. We think he certainly deserved consideration in that regard. Uh, and there are others in our system. Uh, the guy who never really gets any love but just continues to rake is Jake Fraley. You know, and I know Jake was effectively off of the prospect radar when we acquired him. I'm not entirely sure what else he can do. Uh, he's been phenomenal. And so excited about what's happening in, in player development across our minor league system and really excited to watch these guys play on Sunday. And in the spirit of the Ramones, ooh, you're playing the wrong song. You see Kelnick, Kelnick's 3-for-3 three three night last night. It just has me thinking with him head of the Futures game. Ooh, you are catching Jared Kelnick at the wrong time. <laughs> you know, the, 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 and I say this as a good thing. He got in a slump. You know, he had the the he jammed his wrist sliding into second base. We shut him down just prior to the All Star break and into the All Star break, the the Cal League All Star break. 
And coming out of the break, he was playing regularly or had been playing regularly and was probably in the biggest slump of his young career and really came out of it in a big way last night. That's why you send guys to the minor leagues. And that's why at 19, we push him to Modesto is to, to allow him to experience that, that initial difficulty or, or short-term failure and then find a way to hop that wall and get over it and start moving. And my guess is that last night was the first step in that hop. And, you know, he's, he's had a phenomenal year. He's doing everything we could have hoped for and, and more. But getting through that, that first lengthy slump is such a huge step in a player's development. And we're, we're, I, it's, hard, it's hard to say that you're glad that he went into a slump, but we're glad that he went into a slump and even happier that he's pulling himself out. Have you written him any letters yet, Colin? No, no letters. Oh, come on, man. I thought this was going to be a thing. I'll, I'll see him eventually. Once he gets a little bit closer, maybe we'll make a trip to some place that he'll be eventually. I don't know. I got to get out to Sierra Affiliates and maybe he keeps moving. Maybe I check out the team he's at. We'll see. I, I met him when he was here previously once, said I like the Packers. They have, they got a group photo. You know, like the foil balloons, like the hearts, you know, like Be My Valentine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I see O'Keefe walking into the Nuts Clubhouse with like a half dozen of those various balloons in one hand and then just like a bowl of cheese curds in the other <laughs> and just saying, just love me for me. Yes. I am Colin O'Keefe. I am the maestro. Let's hug. The the West bringing some Westby cheeseburger cheese curds to the phrase probably not a bad idea. See? Actually, <laughs> now, I that's do a think good like, idea. From what little I know about Jared, he does seem like a very fairly serious young man and somewhat body conscious image. Uh, like let's just say that like he I think he wants to keep the eight pack, right? So the curds might not go over well with him. But maybe on a cheat day. Can we find out when his cheat day is? We'll work on it. I don't think he eats as much cheese as I do, but maybe we'll get some <laughs> Westby cheese curds. Not even old enough for the uh, spotted cow yet. so Maybe like a really good, clean, like 25-gram protein shake would go over better. With the side. Of- With the side of the curds. There we go. A couple, two, two cheese curds. Yeah. I have to, I'll be glad to bring them. My next trip out is to Modesto. I'm going to go oh. see the, the oh, nuts nice. and... You know, wait until the the fellas get back. I'm gonna head out there next Thursday, and okay. I will get a chance to see Jared and Logan Gilbert and and a and a smoking hot Cal Raleigh, who has been mm-hmm. fantastic for the last seven or ten days, and you know, and and a team that has put a number of really interesting prospects on the board, and and get a chance to spend some time with them coming out of our All Star break. You just sit in the stands and just crush pistachios when you watch a nuts game? Is that how it works? Do they sell those? No, Aaron. I crush cheese curds. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's why you guys had such great chemistry in episode 54. Okay, uh, we've got Stump JD for you, Jerry. Now, I do need to know, because I, I did reveal this question on a recent telecast when we were in Milwaukee. So, I don't know. Were you in Little Rock when we were in Milwaukee? I was. Okay, and then I think we're in the clear here. All right, this is a great question. I mean, this is a really great question. Jerry, there are four players in the history of our game who have played a 1,000 innings in the infield and a 1,000 innings in the outfield. Who are those four players? Wow. A thousand, is this a great question or what? 1,000 innings in the outfield, 1,000 innings in the infield. Four guys. Uh, four guys. 
I am going to go. Robin Young has yes. to be one of them. I mean, you've yeah, you've said his name nine times, yeah. so I'm glad you he's, said it a tenth to get the answer correct. The Hall of Famer, he's awesome. Oh, of course, he's amazing. Um, Robin Young, Darren Erstad? No, no. Uh, That's a good guess, though, because as we have established on this very podcast, Darren Erstad is the only player to ever win a Gold Glove as both an infielder and an outfielder. So it's a very educated guess. There you go. Uh, could it, could one of them be Larry Parrish? Negative. Oh. I feel like that's a good guess, though. Yeah, um, that's a good guess. How about how about Ryan Braun? No, no, third base in the outfield, not happening. There's, I could do this all day and come up with reasonable guesses. One of them is in the Hall of Fame. The other has enough hits to be in the Hall of Fame. Stan Musial. Yep, there you go. You said it, not me. <laughs> so you've got Yount. And Stan the Man. Pete Rose. Pete Rose. Now, this last one is so sneaky with a huge Mariners tie-in. Huge Mariners tie-in. Yeah. Outfield and infield, 1,000 innings each spot. He's the only huge player. Huge Mariners tie-in. To be an all-star with both Canadian teams. All-star with both Canadian teams. Until Nick Marcakis, he had set the record for most seasons played prior to his first All-Star selection. And he was an All-Star for both the Blue Jays and the Expos? Correct. In his only two All-Star seasons. Coming after the age of 33. Sure. That's phenomenal. Uh, and it has a connection with the Mariners? It's an awesome. This is. I feel so great about this one. Yeah, this is awesome. Uh, I'm going to go with. Ron Fairley. I would have oh. never got it. That's awesome. Yes. That is a little sneaky. That yeah, is how awesome. about that? Is that a great list of four or what? That is that's crazy. What the the Ron Fairley's squeaking his way on. Yes. There. He has one of those careers where if you look at his the 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 rollout of his career numbers, mm-hmm. uh, the build up, it's pretty phenomenal. And it just happened like a steady drip of water over a long career. He has led I would say a year and a half ago, he came out with a book which is amazing because the baseball life that Ron Fairley led was almost second to none. I mean, really, it's incredible. And, yeah, he's one of the four guys to play a 1,000 innings, both the infield and the outfield. I feel – I think I might – we might shut down Stump JD after this one. As soon as you said he had a Mariners connection, I was like, there's no way he played for the Mariners. I was like, it's got to be something else, yeah. I said Mariners connection. I, I know, was, exactly. I think it was pretty I, awesome. My, <laughs> it was incredible. It, was, it got, it it got really me good. thinking about different things. I started thinking about cheese curds again. <laughs> we got some listener questions. Remember, you can always email us at thewheelhouse at mariners.com. Hey, Ian is checking in from Sherwood, Oregon, and he asks, what does the organization look for in its minor league managers their influence on or off the field more important for development. Also, how does the organization handle the loss of Mitch Canham, who, of course, is now on uh, to take over one of the premier programs in the country in uh, his alma mater in Oregon State? There's a, well, first on Mitch, you know, 
we hated losing him, but could not be happier. For Mitch is a wonderful human being. He's kind of everything we're looking for in a it, really in a in a baseball person, not just a, a PD staff member. Now gets to go off and coach his alma mater for what I hope is a lifelong job for him and results in many more national championships for the Beavers because there's no one more deserving for success than, than Mitch. Awesome human. Did a great job for us in his time with the Mariners. I think it, what we're looking for when we're out searching for managers, coaches at the player development level is is a mix. Like I talked about with DeLunas and Davis and Brower. You're looking for for an array of coaches who all do something that's a little bit different than the other because we we don't want to get too homogenous in our player development. We want to have something of a different delivery, something of a different bend. And, you know, high character is is first and foremost the most important. At the entry levels, you're you're bringing players along. The most important things you'll do for those those first year players is often happening off the field. And, and what you're teaching them about being professional uh, in getting to work, opening a bank account, being on time, understanding the process of pregame meetings and, and the importance of practice before a game, which is very different maybe than you'll get a triple A, where now you're just trying to, to, to maintain some positive environment with a group of players who are either on their way up or on their way down. Very few are caught in the middle, and that creates a really – odd environment so uh, every level requires a little different personality trait or nuance high character is important off the field development is critical to us at the lower levels on the field uh, i guess people management is the most important aspect at the highest level in AAA. And, and in between, what we're trying to do is, is sort through all the different staff members we feel like have an opportunity to either move into coordinator roles, director roles, or wind up on a major league staff and just continue to churn and build through, you know, build a, a player development machine, so to speak. It's a lot to oversee. I ran into Andy McKay the other day outside the hotel in Houston, and he was popping by. I know you were you were you guys traveling together? Or? No, he was. He actually came into Houston on his way to Northwest Arkansas. Okay. I came into Houston on my way back from Little there Rock. There you go. Every time I see Andy in season, I'm just fascinated to know what his last just whatever 48, 72 hours have been like because it's a zoo, man. Like that is the zooiest job in baseball. How, you know, dur- during my time with the Diamondbacks, when you, I oversaw both departments for a period of time. That and, seems like a horrible idea. Yeah, it was an awesome job. It was one of the best jobs. Of, now, Grant, I had a, a farm director and a scouting director that, that were working with me. Okay. So, you know. The, That's, that makes it a little different. But what you find out is you can't you can't put the phone down. Whether it's tapping into box scores, it's it's knowing when your last team played. The farm director has to stay dialed in until the last pitch is thrown in the system, so you know everybody's okay for tomorrow. Are the rosters okay? Do we need pitching? You know, as a result, the coordinator of development needs to stay in tune because he's the one, or or she might be the one, who's coordinating the the travel and the and the player movement, and. There is nary a day that goes by during the course of a, a 
60-odd day minor league season where there's not player movement. So at the end of every day, there's some movement happening through the system. And, you know, Andy's got a really hard job. So does Matt Snyder. I, I personally think the hardest job in the organization is the farm director because there's so much going on every day and things you might not even consider. You know, the the off-field issues that, that a low-level teenager might be having. It's the It's the, you know, oh, my goodness, we're in – Somewhereville, you know, Rhode Island, three thousand miles from from home base, and we we just lost three pitchers on a given day, and the only pitchers we have available are in Peoria, Arizona, and you have to find a way to get them from from Phoenix to a small airport on the other side of the country before a day game the next day. Good luck with that. It's a uh, you know they don't make FedEx for human bodies. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was actually thinking about this. Uh, before I even knew we'd be talking about it today, I mean, you're a parent. Anybody who has kids, multiple kids, like one of your kids is going great, right? And the other one of your kids is taking permanent markers and coloring on the white couch. That's right. right? Like when are both of your kids or all of your kids all like behaving properly and happy simultaneously? Like the answer is that's never happened, right? So like there's always somebody who needs something when you're a farm director. And by somebody, I mean like a dozen people, roughly speaking, spread across the world. So that's a really hard job. And it's why I love to see uh, how caffeinated Annie McKay is every time I bump into him. Doesn't drink coffee. Oh, really? Yeah. And, and But does have an awesome staff. Guys like Matt Snyder and Carson Vitale and coordinators who are really, they're always blanketing the world and, sure. and there wherever our players are and and it's probably not 12 issues it's more like 36 but <laughs> right. the, you know there's something that's that's always popping up but these guys do a phenomenal job of managing it and making sure that that we solve problems as soon as they arise and i, I really couldn't be prouder of what they've accomplished well, we are in the beginning phases of the final homestand before the All-Star break. Uh, tomorrow, Independence Day, we hope you can swing by T-Mobile Park. We'll have a 110 first pitch against the Cardinals. Patriotic tank top day. And then the Oakland Athletics will come to town over the weekend. It's a Mariners Value Weekend presented by BECU. Bleacher and view level seats, only 15 bucks all weekend long. Plus, select Maine and Terrace Club seats, only $30. Sunday, Fred Hutchinson bobblehead day. Matt's a great-looking bobblehead. First 10,000 fans will take that home, the 100th anniversary of Hutch's birthday. So we've got a few days left before the All-Star break, and then uh, Jerry will be cranking it back up again for the second half, and you'll be back from uh, Modesto. So we'll be interested in talking about that. Uh, I'll have more gushing today. <laughs> Thanks so much for stopping by, as always. That's fine.